Hello, my name is Dwayne Spearman and I am the founder of Directional Ministries located here in Lynchburg, Virginia. This is a teaching ministry that is called to encourage, disciple, and challenge the people of God. Let's go ahead and open up our Bibles today to Matthew chapter number 7. Matthew chapter number 7. The last time that we were together, uh, we actually took a look at verses 1 through 5, where the scriptures say, Judge not, that ye be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, ye shall be judged, and with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. So let's go ahead and have a word of prayer and we will just review these five verses very quickly and then move on in the text. Heavenly Father, we do come before you. We thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. Lord, you know the needs that are represented on each side of this microphone. Ask that you would meet them according to your riches and glory. Father, now as we turn to your word, open our eyes to see and our ears to hear and our hearts to understand the things that you have for us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Just for a little bit of review, uh, what these passages are referring to is how one man is to judge another. And there's a reminder there in verse 1 that judgment begets judgment. In other words, if you don't want to be judged, then don't judge somebody else. And you, because you can be absolutely certain that if you judge a brother and sister in Christ, judgment will come back to you as well. And then we mentioned that that does not mean that no judgment is to be passed. Not at all. Uh, it's just that when judgment is passed, it must be based upon a standard. Because he says in verse number two, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. Whatever standard you choose to judge another person is the same standard that's going to be used to judge you, is what verse number two is talking about. Now, in the Old Testament, when witnesses were found to be lying, the, the witness got the same punishment that he was seeking for the other fellow. We saw that in Deuteronomy chapter 19 and verses 16 through 21. And the purpose of that was to keep them from judging unjustly. And the Bible does clearly show us that there are times that we need to judge people and things. But in order to do that, we must have something greater than ourselves by which to judge. We must judge according to God's standard. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2.15, But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. And we mention at least five places in the Bible where we see this. Um, the first one was, uh, we are to judge not, uh, we are to judge based not upon the way it looks, but upon whether it is right or wrong. We also said, number two, we are to judge things that pertain to life according to the Bible without going to court before our brethren. We mentioned that. We talked about we are to refrain from judging a brother on matters that are reserved for the judgment seat of Christ. There's just some things that are gray, and before his own master, a man will stand or fall. Romans chapter number 14. And then number four, we are to judge sin in the life of another that affects the congregation. If it's hurting other people, you know, just as the example in First Corinthians chapter number five, where the young man was having a, an affair with his stepmother, uh, the whole body was being affected there. And the apostle Paul said, for I verily as present 
as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that has so done this deed. And then the fifth, fifth thing that we discuss is we are to judge those that teach and preach contrary to sound doctrine. And there's an order that we saw there. Avoid them, mark them, beware them, and rebuke them. And of course, that was on our last study. And then verses three through five, in verses three through five, we see, and why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye? And look, a plank is in your own eye, hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you'll be able to clearly see the speck that is in your brother's eye. So in this passage, the Lord is telling us that we need to be more concerned with judging ourselves in, instead of others. Uh, Paul said the same thing in 1 Corinthians eleven thirty one when he said, for if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. And even at that, we can only judge ourselves to a point. It's hard, it's hard for us to judge ourselves time, sometimes because we don't know the motives or the intent sometimes of our own hearts. You know, Jeremiah said the heart is desperately wicked and who can even know it? The apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, 3, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I don't even judge myself. <laughs> <laughs> For I know nothing by myself, yet I am not hereby justified, but he that judgeth me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart, and then every man will have praise of God. So that wraps up the section on judgment. And then today we're going to look at verses 6 through 12, and we'll see how far we get. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you, whom if his son should ask for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to get good gifts unto your children, how much more so shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? Therefore, all things whatsoever you ask you, you that men do to you, do ye also even unto them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter ye in the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and there are few that find it. Now, before we go ahead and begin to exegete or explain this text, interpret it, we need to remember that this is Jewish king telling his Jewish disciples about things concerning his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, which was ultimately rejected. Christ was crucified and is yet to be established one day upon his second return. It'll happen. And in these verses, he speaks to them about a, a couple of different things. And we're going to look at these one at a time. He talks to them about false prophets. He talks to them about receiving good gifts. He talks to them about the golden rule. And he talks to them about the straight gate. So let's go ahead and take a look at these one at a time. And let's look at interpretation and then application. First, he talks about false prophets in verse number six. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs. Neither cast ye your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. The lesson here is that in the kingdom, in the kingdom of heaven, the Lord's people are pictured as holy and as pearls. 
and they were not to be subverted by false prophets who were pictured as dogs and swine pigs. These dogs and swine are those who proved to be hostile to the gospel that Christ was teaching. The application, of course, that's interpretation. The application for the church, you and me today, is that there are many today who are simply blinded by the truth and the simplicity of the gospel, just that there were, there were those during the days of Jesus. And they will, not, they will not respond to its presentation. Paul spoke of these in 2 Corinthians chapter number 4 and verse 4 when he said, In whom the God, the little g, God, the devil of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Now that does not mean that we should not share the gospel, but that we need to use discernment when doing so, such as looking for prepared hearts. I mean, we need to be sensitive, sensitive, if you will, to what the Lord is doing. Uh, don't just cast it out there. I mean, they're going to come back and they're going to turn on you and they're going to rend you or tear you apart. We need to be sensitive as we share the gospel. We need to look for opportunities. And when the Lord opens those opportunities, we're to walk through those doors. I believe we should go into every day and say, Lord, show me with whom you would like for me to share the gospel with today. Of course, I'm reminded of St. Francis of Assisi who said, share the gospel with all men and if necessary, use words. Our, our presentation of the gospel should begin with our own behavior. People should look at us and see Christ to such an extent that they are in wonder as to how we have such peace, how we have such a relationship with a loving God. And that opens the door for us to share the gospel of Christ with them. Now, in verses 7 through 11, we see asking, seeking, and knocking. And you know the verses, ask and it shall be given you, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man of, of you is there, if a son should ask bread, would he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, would he give him a serpent? You know, if you're if you being so evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your father which is in heaven give good things to him, them that ask him? So the point is that in the kingdom of heaven, good gifts come from the father in the same way that we as fathers give our children what they need. And yet we are evil. Now, some would say that the pattern of asking, seeking and knocking speaks of a progression or an intensity in our prayers. You know, you ask, then you seek and then you knock. Now, it's obvious from the scriptures that God values persistence. We know that. Uh, for example, in the Gospel of Luke, we see Jesus speaking on this very subject. In Luke chapter number 18, verses 1, Then he spake unto them that men ought always to pray and not lose heart. There was in a certain city a judge that did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him and said, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said to within himself, Though I do not fear God, nor do I regard men, but because this widow troubles me, 
I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming to me she weary me. And then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge says. In other words, if this wicked judge <laughs> is pestered to the point of doing good for this widow, how much more so us coming to a good judge would want to do good for his children? And our Lord says that he lays out this progression of asking, seeking, and knocking. By asking, I believe that's just actively coming to God, making our requests known unto him. And then by seeking, I believe, and notice these are all present progressive, we're actively moving with purpose in the direction that we believe God is leading us. And then by knocking, we're actively trying the doors that we believe may be the Lord's answer. In other words, we're moving with a purpose. We're asking, we're seeking, we're knocking. It's not stagnant. We're moving. You know, we can't just just ask and do nothing, but we're asking while we're seeking. And we can't just seek and do nothing. When the Lord presents an opportunity to us, we need to knock. We need to see if indeed this is the Lord's answer to our prayers. And I believe the lesson here is that if we being evil know how to good, give good gifts to our children, how much more will God give us what we need. That's the moral of the lesson, I believe. And then in verse number 12, we have the golden rule. When he says, therefore, all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, this is what we have come to call the golden rule today. You, you've heard it. Do unto others as you would have them do unto to you. It primarily deals with beneficial reciprocation. I do for you, you do for me. Now, while I'm sure that you've heard this quoted many times, we usually fail, like many verses in the Bible, to quote the last part, for this is the law and the prophets. Our Lord is simply saying that if we treated others like we want to be treated, we would, by default, be obeying the law in regards to our relationships with others as mentioned, as detailed in the law and the prophets, i.e., for example, the Ten Commandments. I mean, <laughs> we, you know, he tells us don't commit adultery. I mean, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Don't covet. Don't steal. Don't lie. <laughs> don't kill. You know, by default, if we kept the golden rule, we would be fulfilling or keeping or fulfilling. Does he use the word uh, fulfilling? I believe that he does. He says, for this is, is what he says, the law and the prophets. In other words, if we did unto others as we would have them do unto us, we would be keeping or fulfilling the law of the prophets. That's pretty powerful. And then another section, and the, and the final section of this, is the straight gate. In verse number 13, he says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And there are many there be which go in that way. Because straight is the gate, narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Of course, we have to stay in the context. Okay, a text out of context is a pretext. Staying in context demands that the, the interpretation 
of these verses be that most do not keep the law and the prophets and treat others the way they would like to be treated. And apparently this can be said of the majority of people because he says, enter in the straight gate. That literally means um, the, the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth unto destruction. And many, that means the vast majority, go that way. In other words, they don't go the right way. They don't go the God way. And in the text, in the, in the context here, they're not keeping the law, the, uh, law and the prophets. Because straight is the gate, narrow is the way, what needs unto life, and there are few be that find it. And now remember that the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, some of Acts, is still Old Testament. And the law was supreme. Of course, Christ came, fulfilled the law for us that we should not have to. Okay, So in the context here, he's saying that the vast majority of people do not keep the law and the prophets. They do not seek to enter into the straight gate. But the lesson for you and I is that the majority are going the wrong way. <laughs> the majority is not right. And historically, that is certainly the case. Pilate, for example, ruled by the mob. He ruled by the majority and it was wrong. Now we get our English word democracy from that. That literally means majority or mob rule. Opinion polls, therefore, are not the way to run a country or even our own personal lives. You know, Dr. Adrian Rogers used to say, I would rather be in the minority and be right than in the majority and be wrong. He also said that while Noah went into the ark in the minority, he came out in the majority. You see, the wrong gate is wide and contrary to popular opinion. Most people are going through that one. The right gate is straight. In other words, it's narrow. And there are few that are going into that one. You see, when people say you're narrow-minded, that's actually a compliment because narrow is the way that leads to life. That's what that word straight gate means, the narrow gate. And contrary to popular opinion, God is very exclusive as to who he will and who he will not allow into heaven. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. But through me, you see this all roads lead to God. That's a lie of the devil. There's only one way. It's the narrow way. It's the straight gate. God bless you guys. Hope that you have a great day. Remember how much God loves you, wants the best for you, and he's working all things out for your good.